Good evening. Uh, it is five o'clock on Sunday, the 7th of March. So I'm saying good evening to you. If you're watching this at some other point in the week, then please interpret appropriately. Uh, we are, are here just to have a, um, a short half hour or so. We'll try and keep it to half an hour, probably be a few minutes over. Um, Bible blast. We can have a little explore of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20, no, 25, verse 28 through to 26, verse 12. And that's our plan for this evening. We've had a series through Proverbs for some time and we're, we're kind of picking up where we are with that. Um, as we as we kind of prepare ourselves for this, I'm going to pray in a moment. Um, Proverbs is, is a really knobbly book. Um, it's, it's not easy. It's not straightforward. And it, you know, I think we need to ask for the Lord's help to really hear what it is that he wants us each to take away uh, from this little study this evening. Um, so let me pray for us. Uh, in Colossians, it says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, we ask for your help this evening. Lord, please, would you help us to do what those verses tell us to set our hearts and our minds on things above where Christ is. Lord, we need your help to be able to listen attentively, to be alert to how you're speaking to us. Lord, to help us wrestle through the, the kind of the bumpy bits of passages like this one before us, so that your word might work in our hearts to transform us and to lift our hearts, lift our gaze, our desire, our hearts, our minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me to speak uh, faithfully. But please would you help all of us, me included, to hear faithfully and respond in faith as we as we wrestle together with your word now please bless this time for jesus sake we ask amen very good it will help you if you have a bible open and um, proverbs chapter 25 end of that and into chapter 26 and when i was at school and um, i would often cite a proverb to a friend and not a biblical proverb and uh, i'm not quite sure where i found it um, but this is the proverb I used to cite. I used to say to him, uh, loving a woman who scorns you is like licking honey from a thorn. Uh, I've, I've looked up on the Internet. I think it's a Welsh proverb. Um, that's what the Internet tells me. But it's a brilliant proverb, isn't it? Loving a woman who scorns you is like licking honey from a thorn. It so wonderfully captures destructive desire, a harmful appetite. And, uh, and, and I guess also there's, there's a kind of sense of helplessness with it as well. Uh, particularly as I remember that lovesick puppy to whom I used to um, often quote this proverb to. But it, it presents the problem, doesn't it? What do you do? What, what does someone do when they hunger for poison? And what, what, what do we do when our hearts are bending towards something that will ruin us? Well, with that, let's read Proverbs uh, chapter 25, verse 28 into chapter 26 and verse 12. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, honour is not fitting for a fool. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the backs of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. 
Sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Like the useless legs of one who is lame is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like tying a stone in a sling is the giving of honour to a fool. Like a thornbush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like an archer who wounds at random is one who hires a fool or any passerby. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Uh, we're just going to work our way uh, through this. Uh, so we'll start at the beginning, verse 28. Look with me. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. This, this verse really launches the section we have and it gives a, a really clear warning. We're to imagine a city whose defences have been taken away, torn down, and so enemies can enter at will. Now, that city is a city that is doomed. And the proverb is warning us that a person without self-control, inevitably like that city, will fall. Uh, literally, this proverb speaks of the person who cannot restrain their spirit. And, and as we look at this, just note the kind of um, anthropology of this warning. This, this proverb is telling us that there is something about a person, about each and every person, about all of us, um, something within that if it isn't held back, it will destroy. That The human heart is loaded with destructive desires. And if we can't restrain, if we can't, if we cannot control the self, then, then you know, the, the walls are breached and the soul is lost. It's a stark warning, and yet this proverb doesn't tell us how to do it. This, the, this proverb kind of highlights the danger, headlines the danger, saying, construct, it's saying control yourself, restrain your spirit. Licking a thorn will lacerate your tongue. But if you can't control yourself, you're doomed. Okay, but now kind of how do we go about that? What, how, how do we do it? Verse 28 launches a section. The, the rest of our section, the rest of our passage is, is really concerned with the theme of the fool. I don't know if you notice that as we read through it, um, but fools are mentioned in every verse apart from verse 2. So, so verse 28 sets it up. How do we restrain our spirits? And then we come to the theme of the fool. And the theme of the fool is going to bring two main challenges to us. The, the, the first challenge is that we restrain our spirits by not being a fool that's our first heading if i was putting headings up that would be the first one don't be a fool and what do you think of when you think of a fool what what kind of image comes to mind uh, at times the bible laughs at the fool i think our parts of our passage do that but but the laughing is never silly the fool in the bible is not a clown about back at the beginning of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, we are introduced to the fool and we're introduced like this. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there is that, that great headline, the fear of the Lord, that humble submission of the creature before the greatness and the goodness of almighty god and the, the fear of the lord is that attitude to god that response to god which is the beginning of knowledge it's the way of wisdom that's what a fool despises the fool treats that the, the kind of humble adoration the submission the worship of god the, the fool treats 
faith in God as stupid. He despises that. So the character of the fool, the, the fool could be very successful in the eyes of the world. The fool could be rich. The fool could be powerful. But the fool is a fool because of his attitude toward the Lord, that the fool thinks he can figure it out for himself. He thinks he can manage by himself. So he will not submit to the to the Lord. You know, in, in, in the Bible, it tells us that everyone is a fool. In Romans chapter one, Paul writes, verse 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. You see how in that passage, Paul connects foolishness with false worship. The, the, the fool despises the fear of the Lord. He will not trust the Lord. So he puts his hope in other things. Uh, see also how Paul connects foolishness with desires. You see that? Uh, the foolish heart is filled with sinful desires. And, and, and if you don't think that Romans 1 applies to you, then, then just read on into Romans 2 and Romans 3. There is folly in all of us. Everyone is a fool. And that's the kind of sober reality we need to bring to our passage. This passage which is urging us to refuse foolishness. How, how does it do it? Well, I, I think our passage makes us consider three aspects of folly. The, the first aspect of folly to consider is that folly is futile. Folly is futile. Uh, we start at verse one. Speaks about snow in summer, rain in harvest. That these things which are just out of place, they're just not fitting. They're not appropriate. And the point, honour is like that for a fool. Honour is not fitting for a fool. What is this honour? It's so important that we read Proverbs together. We read it in context. And the first part of the book has told us about honour. Back in Proverbs chapter three, it, it sets out the, the the incomparable betterness of getting wisdom. Proverbs 3.15 says, nothing you desire can compare with her. No, we're in the language of desires here. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. If we if we examine all the kind of mixed desires of our hearts, whatever we find, wisdom exceeds. Nothing you desire can compare with getting wisdom. Why? The next verse Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honour. This is the, the, the package of promise that wisdom has. Life, riches, honour. See, when, when we come in, in, in total submission to the Lord, abandoning all hope in ourselves, we are embraced by woman wisdom and she gives her gifts, lavishes her gifts upon us. Life, riches, honour. This this promise, this package of promises, life in fullness, life in paradise. What that, that's what wisdom has and holds out to us. That, that that's what is contained in this honor, or the same word as glory. It's glory that is given, that the glory with which she graces those who fear the Lord. And Proverbs four says it like this: It says, "Cherish her, cherish wisdom, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you." 
She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. All of that, of course, is not fitting for a fool. For the person who refuses to submit to the Lord, that person is not suited for the gift of eternal life. So don't be a fool. Folly is futile. Don't be a fool. A second thing in our passage, folly is ugly. Coming me to verses 6 to 10. Um, verses 6 to 10 paint a kind of picture um, in order to repel us. We're to be appalled as we look at these things. And, and the, the Proverbs kind of work in pairs. First of all, verse 6 and verse 10 are about the destruction that folly brings. See, verse 6, sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. For a fool to be given responsibility is going to be ultimately destructive. Saying so, you, know, you might as well just take a saw and hack off your own feet. But that's how destructive a fool is. Or, or verse 10, like an archer who wounds at random. In our modern context, we'd, we probably would think of someone firing a gun into a crowd, shooting indiscriminately. And when we're to imagine all the, the horror that comes with that, the panic, the, the senseless waste of life. That's what it is for one who hires a fool or any passerby. Then verses seven and nine are linked by this phrase, a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Now I see the fool may have wisdom in his mouth, but if it's not in his heart, the life of wisdom is to trust the Lord with all your heart. The life of wisdom is not about what you say with your mouth. It's not just about honoring with your lips if your heart is distant. So the fool, in a sense, can appear wise. Interesting, isn't it? Colossians chapter two speaks about things that have the appearance of wisdom, but can't restrain our sinful desires. The fool can have the appearance of wisdom. Colossians three then goes on to say we are to fix our hearts on Christ. Uh, that is the way of restraining and changing sinful desires. But you know, the fool can appear wise. It can have this appearance of wisdom. And, and we have to hear this because in, in Proverbs, being wise is trusting the Lord. The wise person is the person of faith. That, that's a Christian. So, so we who claim to be Christians, we can claim all we like. And our mouths can be full of biblical truth, but it's, it's about our hearts. The proverb in the mouth of the fool is both useless and deadly. Verse seven, like the useless legs of one who is lame. If the fool speech doesn't grow from the fear of the Lord, it will be useless. Verse seven, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand. It's imagine someone kind of lurching about in a drunken stupor. They're completely out of control, but they are waving around a thorn bush. And then we come to verse eight in the center. Like tying a stone in a sling. Now, a, a sling is a leather strap that you swing around and then you let the stone fly. If you tie the stone into the sling, when you swing it around, the stone will not fly. The stone will not release. In fact, it's likely the stone will come around and hit you in the back of the head. That's like giving honour to a fool. These, these images all put together, they're meant to repel us. If we follow the way of folly, this is the kind of ugly destruction that will lie in our wake. So don't be a fool. Folly is ugly. Don't be a fool. Uh, and then thirdly, folly is addictive. 
Folly is addictive. Look at verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Vomit comes out because there's something bad, doesn't it? Your body kind of rejects, gets rid of what is harmful, vomits it out. They're saying the fool is attracted to things that destroy him. In 2 Peter chapter 2, and Peter picks up this proverb, he applies, quotes and applies this proverb to false teachers. He speaks about those who come into the Christian fellowship, they know the way of righteousness and then they turn their backs. We to imagine someone who comes to know the gospel of Christ, to taste the goodness of life in Jesus and then gets drawn back to their sinful desires. Imagine that. It's all too easy to imagine it, isn't it? Every time a Christian sins, that is exactly what we are doing, isn't it? Every time we sin, we are turning back to what kills us. Even worse, we're turning back to what we know is poison. We've already vomited it out and then we scrape it off the floor and gorge ourselves. Don't be a fool. It's addictive. But verse 11, it has that same sense of loving a woman who scorns you is like licking honey from a thorn. It's a destructive desire. It's a harmful appetite and a kind of helplessness that comes with it. Something in us hungers for poison. How do we stop it? It's very clear. Don't be a fool. But but how? Is there any hope for fools? That's the question, isn't it? And it's a key question because we are all fools. Is there any hope? Well, we'll look at verse 12. Verse 12 is, is a wonderful twist, really. That this passage displays the horror of folly. And then it says, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Not, not much hope, perhaps, but there's a chink of light here, isn't there? That just bursts in at verse 12. How, how do we turn from our foolish ways? Well, well the start is we, we take a sober view of ourselves. And we, we can't just turn off our sinful desires, but we can recognise them as sinful. We can't just flick a switch that's going to change our hearts, but, but we can admit that our hearts need changing. We can't be what we need to be, but we can admit that we need. But see, see, the person who is wise in their own eyes, that is the fool of fools, because they are only trusting themselves and they will not seek help from another. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. If it's going to be hope for fools, it begins with turning to the Lord, looking up to the Lord. But, you know, that's not the whole of it. The, the whole of it is not just admitting that we need and looking to the Lord. Look, look, look at what happens. Let's, let's come back to verse one. Verse one says, honour is not fitting for a fool. The fool is not suited for a gift of eternal life. And then verse two pairs with verse one. Verse two says, like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. That is, an undeserved curse doesn't go anywhere. We're to take it with verse one. See, these... These two verses together are showing that the fool will get what he deserves. He doesn't deserve eternal life, so he's not going to get that. 
Um, the, the only escape for the fool is to become undeserving. The, the only way to avoid the ultimate curse landing on you is to be innocent. And yet the, the fool, by definition, is given over to sinful desires. So what, so what do we do? Well, we, well, we hold that tension and we bring it with us into verse 3. Verse 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. What do you make of this? Let me, let me make um, three observations about this verse a first one that this this proverb shows that there is something brutish about a fool he's an animal like an animal and and that's what happens when someone refuses to fear the lord we get given over to our brute desires that's what paul's kind of describing in romans chapter one he's describing the foolish foolishness as refusing to worship god exchanging the glory of god to worship images of created things you know, we, we worship what we desire and in the end we become what we worship the fool is well on the way to that brutish a second observation why do you whip a horse or bridle a donkey now, why would you do that? Yeah, of, of course, because they're brute animals. That's part of it. You can't reason with them. So you have to do these things. But isn't it also because they are valuable? The rod for the backs of fools is not because the fool is irredeemable. It's because there is hope for transformation. And, and it's hope for transformation because the fool himself has some value he is wanted see this this rod for the back of fools is not so much to punish but to transform we are all fools and god is such that he loved the world as john 3 says god loved the world and and, and in john's gospel the world is a place of darkness a place of rebellion it's humanity against god it's the foolish world that that's what God loved. If we recognize that we are fools, which which we must, let, let's recognize that we are loved fools. And, and here is a key part of moving away from folly. We can't just change ourselves. We can admit that we have a need and we can look to the one who loves us enough to change us. Third observation, the, the rod for the back of fools is intended to beat out of the fools his obstinacy. That the rod is intended to inflict pain, but, but it's pain to hurt the sinful desires so that they might be remade. And, and in part, I guess we see something of how our Heavenly Father disciplines us. But, but I think maybe more intensely, we see the immensity of the Father's love. You see, see, God who loved the foolish world is the one who loved the foolish world by sending his own beloved son into the world. And the beloved son would come and he would set his face towards Jerusalem. And of that time, he said in Matthew chapter 20, the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And it all happened, as he said, a pilot released Barabbas, but he had Jesus flogged 
and then the soldiers took Jesus and they mocked him and it says that they spat on him and they took his staff and they struck him on the head again and again the, the question that we have is how can a fool become innocent how, how can a fool come to that place where the curse will not land on them and they might receive the gift of eternal life well, Isaiah says there was one crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed in Jesus Christ in his suffering as the innocent one he didn't deserve for the curse to land on him but he became the fool and, and he took the beatings so that those who come to him in repentance and faith might receive his gift of life and then in him in him our desires begin to be changed and our appetite begins to grow for food that lasts for eternal life In our passage this evening, verse 28 sets it up. How do we restrain our spirits? And then this theme of the fool challenges us. The first thing is we restrain our spirits by not being a fool. How? We admit our need. And we look to Christ. We look to Christ who answers our needs to the depths of our souls and to the length of eternity. And then we come to the second challenge. This passage that we have this evening only has two direct commands. The, the first challenge in our passage is a warning not to be a fool. But the second challenge recognises that we live in a world of fools. How do we relate to them? Our second heading, if I was putting them up, would be love other fools. Love other fools. Verses four and five, the only direct instructions in the in the passage, they are often given as the example of why Proverbs is so difficult. So let's have a look. Verse four, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. Verse five, answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. These verses are tightly matched and opposite. And the Proverbs are given to make us think. They're not always obvious. That's, that's how they work. We have to wrestle through them and try and work our way into them. So, so let's have a look at these verses. Uh, first of all, let's, let's note that, that the situation we have here is about how to respond to a fool. Um, and, and as we think about that, let's not lose the biblical definition of a fool. Uh, the fool is someone who refuses to submit their ways to the Lord. So, so in short, really, we're thinking about somebody who is not a Christian. So, so verses four and five are speaking directly into our lives. Every single day we engage with unbelievers. Every single day. The question is, how should we respond to them? And the wisdom of these verses is telling us that there is a way that we should respond. And there's a way that we shouldn't. And, and the word according to. That's the flexibility, the, the contrast between these verses works on the flexibility of that phrase according to. Let's have a look. Verse four first. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. The, the according to here is on the same basis. This is about 
kind of entering into the fool's world and responding without the fear of the Lord. That that's what folly is and we must resist it. Why? Or you yourself will become just like him. We will become fools. Verse four is saying that when we interact with unbelievers, we must take care of ourselves. What does it mean? Well, I guess in some situations it means we don't meet insult with insult. Uh, Peter writes in his first letter, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Don't don't come down to his level and, and, and kind of go to and fro on that same basis. Uh, in, in some situations, it, it means we don't go along with sinful ways. We're not enticed by the sinful lifestyle or practices that are being put upon us. And, and yet in other situations, and I think perhaps where this is hardest, is we must be careful we don't get kind of sucked into a Christless way of thinking. Now, years and years ago, I read this article um, called something like Why Reading the Papers Makes You Go Blind. And it was, it was really helpful. The, the, the point was, was saying that when we read the news, or I guess if we watch the news or engage with the news, we're being presented with all the important things of the world without reference to Christ. And this happens in, in all of our conversations, really, doesn't it, with unbelievers? We, we can talk about all kinds of things that are felt to be important, but Christ is absent. The, the problems are, are Christless. The, the solutions are Christless. The sorrows are Christless. The joys are Christless. And if we're not careful, we too become Christless. Now, verse 28 says there's a need for us to restrain our spirits. Our, our defences are going to be um, threatened as we interact with the world around us. So when we interact with unbelievers, we need to be careful that we don't become like them. Got to be on our guard. And then we come to verse five. Answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. We've already considered verse 12 and the danger of being wise in your own eyes. Now, why would we not want a fool to become like that? Why would we not want a fool to be wise in his own eyes? Because there's no hope for someone who's wise in their own eyes. And we are to love fools. That's what it's saying. Verse five is urging us to respond to the fall, to interact with unbelievers in love, with a kind of love that aims to help fools come to that saving fear of the Lord that we have found. And so that means that we will respond according to his folly. We will look for ways to show his folly for what it is. As Peter writes, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit blessing. So, so verse five is pushing us along a track where we will respond with gentleness and respect and respond in a way aiming that we, we might help a fool realize that he's not the center of the universe. That we Respond in a way where, where the fool might come to know that there is an ultimate goodness and greatness with whom he will have to do. Because there will be hope for someone who lifts his eyes above himself. And when we interact with unbelievers, we will want to take care of the other person. And now as we as we um, kind of come to a close this evening, I, I just want to see if there's a, a challenge for us to take from verses four and five. Now these um, 
proverbs are both applicable, simultaneously applicable. And yet I guess all of us are probably going to lean more to one or the other. So let's ask ourselves about that. When, when you interact with unbelievers, I think you're in, your kind of tendency is to become like them or to kind of shut off from them. Which, which way does it go for you? Now, if it is for you that your tendency as you interact with unbelievers is to, you kind of get sucked in. And, and in your interactions, there isn't really much difference between you and others. And I'm not just talking about what others see, but I'm talking about also what goes on in your head. You don't really feel a sense of alienation as you talk with unbelievers. You, you fit in very naturally. That's a dangerous word, isn't it? If, if that is how it is for you, if that's your tendency, then verse four just warns you to say, you need to take care of yourself. Don't answer a fool according to his folly because you don't want to become Christless. On the other hand, though, if, if your tendency is is really a bit more to stand back, your tendency is a bit more, you don't really meaningfully interact with unbelievers. You're, you're generally fairly aloof. You don't get involved you don't come alongside. You're not even really trying to do this as a, as a, as a resistance within you. And, and as you talk with unbelievers, you're not really trying to understand where they're coming from. You're not really listening. If that's how it is for you, then verse five challenges us to love. Answer them according to their folly. Verse five is saying, get to them. Understand them. Reason with them. Persuade them. Gently set before them a better hope. Long for them to come to know that fools can be rescued by the God who loves the foolish world. That, that, that fools can be rescued by the son who became a fool for us, who was beaten for us so that honour might be fitting for people like us. So that eternal life might come to us as a gift, a gift deserved in Christ Jesus. What's your tendency? Is it towards verse four or verse five? to become like them or to stand back from them. Let's ask God's help, shall we? Our God in heaven, please, would you help us not to be wise in our own eyes, but to admit our need for help and change and to look to Christ, to remember all that he is for us. And Lord, as we go out into the world, would you help us as we interact with an unbelieving world? Lord, please, would you help us to be on our guard so that we don't get sucked into Christless ways of thinking and being. But Lord, please, would you help us equally to love those around us, to love them so much that we might seek every opportunity uh, to present to them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask for your help as we process these things. Lord, the things that you have put on our hearts as we've heard this evening, please, would you help us to take them to you in prayer? And please, would you bring change and transformation for the sake of Christ? Amen. Good night. That's us done. And may you know the Lord's rich blessing.